sung this morning. We've been in a series rooted in simplicity, or rooted in, and today we're talking about simplicity or simplifying our lives. Scott Webb writes, it seems everyone is feeling fragmented these days. Has the human life ever been more perforated between disparate spheres, family and friends, virtual and physical, social media and social circles, urban living and suburban living and work and life and play? I read another article this week, uh, a guy named Kyle Chaka, I don't know who he is, but he talks about, he's written something called The Tyranny of the Algorithm. Why every coffee shop looks the same. <laughs> he described himself in this article as a Western, 20-something, internet-brained millennial, acutely conscious of his own taste. That phrase, that description of self, really caught my attention because it basically said that he is acknowledging that he is a person who has been driven to focus upon his own desires, his own needs by the internet, and that he spends so much of his time thumbing through and scrolling through the internet to find something that appeals to his taste, his needs, his desires, and he's wandering through each day in an internet-brained fog. We're all, it's not limited to millennials, we understand that. <laughs> We're all being driven and herded into a soul-destroying complexity that disconnects us from life as God intended. Anybody here ever hear of Henry David Thoreau? Did you learn about him in school? I remember in English class, we took a whole unit just studying Thoreau and the transcendentalists of that time. He put himself into a deliberate exile. You know his story, you know he went and lived beside Walden Pond in Connecticut for quite a period of time. And he came out with the famous proclamation Simplify, simplify, simplify. He was passionate about it. And why was he so passionate about it? Well, because he was reacting against the fragmented life complicated by the emerging technologies of the mid-19th century. <laughs> Tell us about it. <laughs> you have no idea. Historically, there have been many movements that have reacted against the complexities of their time. We can go clear back to the second and third centuries, and we, we can read about the desert fathers and mothers who led the populated areas of, of their time to go out into the desert and isolate themselves away from all the noise, all the hubbub, all the people, 
and they began what we now understand is the monastic movement, uh, where they cloistered themselves in hidden away monasteries and focused upon God and his word. We owe them a big debt today because the desert mothers and fathers have a lot to do with producing the, uh, the canon, the Bible that we study today. And there have been others uh, that have come along. The Reformers were reacting to complexity. The Anabaptists, the Quakers, the Puritans, some of the original people that came to, the United, uh, to, the, to North America, they were reacting against the complexity of life in their world and, and the beginning days of the Industrial Revolution. You go back and study the Quakers and uh, they put together, I think it's seven principles that they based their system of practice and belief upon. And the first one was simplicity, living a simple life. The search for the simple life continues today. Simple clothing, minimalist design, We've got a video coming up here. Local dining and uh, thumbing through the latest edition of Real Simple magazine. I'm told Kim Kardashian is big into this now. Yes, yes, Steve. I thank Amy and, uh, and Liz for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> and when I heard about What's going on with Amy and Liz? Do we have those pictures? Oh, this is, the, this is Kim's simplicity. And I thought, uh, yeah, okay. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there on junk day when she set all her old furniture out on the curb <laughs> so she could simplify? All of this interest in simplicity is fine, but it's got one problem. That's enough of that. (laughs) It's working from the theory that if we can simplify things outside ourselves, our style of dress, the furniture, our travel, our food, our relationship, our schedules, then we'll find ourselves becoming simpler. But I call that the Martha Trap. The Martha Trap. You remember the story of Mary and Martha? They were friends of Jesus. Brother, Their brother was Lazarus. Jesus would, from time to time, when he was in the era, he would, area, he would visit them. And this one particular occasion, he was there. And Martha got busy trying to set up hospitality for Jesus. And she was fussing around the house, preparing meals and just setting up everything just the way she wanted it. But Mary, it says, sat at the feet of Jesus. And Martha got worked up about that. And she said, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that she's ignoring all of this responsibility and all of this, these details that I'm trying to take care of? 
And you, you remember what Jesus said? He said, Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. I'm reading in the New Living Translation. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Absolutely not. I will not stop Mary from focusing upon me. Now, what did Mary love about Jesus? Was was sitting at his feet? Was she looking at his designer sandals? Was she noticing his nice manicure? Was she just tickled because he was a celebrity? No. She was soaking in his presence, the essence of his being that radiated from him. And what is the essence of his being? God is love, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in him. And he was talking and communicating with her. Think of it. Jesus, the miracle worker, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the future King of kings and Lord of lords, is sitting there and talking to Mary. Listening to her, answering her questions, validating her, pouring himself into her. Mary has chose the one thing that's important here. You're bothered about so many details that aren't important. That's the Martha trap, and that's the trap that we all have to deal with, we all struggle with, we all uh, are bound up in it. And to the extent that any of us are internet brain, we're, we're... We've been herded into it by algorithms and we're trapped there. And we don't even comprehend simplicity. That we are called to be rooted in. Remember Brent Oden, Brent started this series with a scripture from Colossians. It says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Does that describe your life today? You just feel rooted and overflowing with thankfulness? We kind of have to work at that, don't we? It, it's, not, it's not our state of being. We get around to talking about it at Thanksgiving season. And we, we may pack in a prayer and a <coughs> ceremony of thanks between the football games and the turkey. But are we really rooted and saturated in thanksgiving? Ephesians goes on and says it further. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted 
and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Rooted in simplicity. Where does that simplicity begin? It begins in Christ. It begins in Jesus. It begins like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus and taking in who he is and absorbing his being, his character, his teaching, his light, his life into our own lives. God, the scriptures tell us, is love. Love is the bedrock, foundational, central reality of who God is. How God relates to us. And how we're taught to relate to one another. That's the basic. That's the simple truth. You remember in Deuteronomy, there's a passage when Moses began to teach the children of Israel the law. He started out with the Shema. The Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Think of one in terms of simplicity. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, why did Moses start there? Because they were from, out of, and surrounded by cultures that had complex systems of pagan belief and idolatry that had many gods and um, all kinds of rituals and uh, bloodletting and sacrifices. And, and it was a very complex and confusing and dominating thing in their lives. And Moses said, look, Children of Israel, if you're going to walk forward in God's promises, if you're going to be the people of God, you've got to start here. The Lord our God is one. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. We know Jesus came along some while later and said and added to it, and your neighbor as yourself. So, it was of critical importance, so much so that Moses went on to say, he said, these commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That's not being internet-brained. That's being God-brained. That's being saturated in the goodness and greatness and love of God. That's where it gets simple. It's in that other stuff that gets all confusing and complex. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart. And so Jesus came along because the story of the Bible throughout the Bible is how humankind have so miserably failed 
to live up to the call to love only God who is love. All other encroaching affections and loyalties not centered in God become dominating complexities in our lives. It puts us in the same category as the church in Ephesus that Revelation talks about, which for all of its good qualities is said to have forsaken their first love and forgotten how far they had fallen. I've been around church pretty much all my life, being a pastor's son and then a pastor. I had seasons away from it, but I can tell you that it isn't hard to come to the conclusion that perhaps there has been some loss of our first love and some loss of remembrance of how far we have fallen, how far we've removed ourselves, been removed, been herded away from, if you want to put it that way, from that unique and special love for God. So Jesus came to not only teach and show us how to get back on track loving God, the simple message of loving God, but he expanded it further by equipping us to be lovers of God. You see, we can't do it ourselves. We can't just make a resolution today. All right, from now on, by golly, I'm going to just love God. How long will it take you from the time you say that to reach in your pocket and pull out your phone and see what Facebook is saying? See, we're not going to do this by just deciding, okay, I'm going to love God. No. You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, because that's the way it worked out in the Old Testament law. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Tax collectors would be like today a liberal Democrat saying MAGA, and like the MAGA people saying liberal Democrat. <laughs> Aren't, don't even those people do that? They love their own. Jesus said, but I'm telling you, love your enemies. Because God's just as good to them as he is to you. He lets the rain come on both. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? The pagans do that. 
He said, be perfect. And that word perfect, we can expand on that and say, be complete, be whole, be simple. In love, he said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We've become so divided as a nation, as, as Christians, that unless we get turned around and get ourselves centered once again in God's love, we'll never claw our way out of this suffocating complexity we're buried in right now. We, we won't. If we only just put ourselves in the echo chamber that says the things that validate our opinions and cast negativity upon those other people, we're not only going to lose track of loving God, we're going to begin to build up an animus and a hatred toward our enemies. We're going to miss it all. Jesus said, you've got to love both. And he went on to say, you may remember, that you want to be like God in love toward friend and enemy, neighbor and enemy. He said, this is a narrow path. Everybody can go the wide way of being filled with division and strife and criticism and anger and hatred. But the narrow way is God's way. It's the perfect way of loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the simple way. The other way just leads to all sorts of stuff that entangles us and enslaves us and stresses us and pressures us. Simplify. Love God. Be like God. Let God be present in your life. Jesus had so much to say to his followers about getting rooted in love, rooted in simplicity. Remember what he said to this Samaritan woman? He said, if you knew who I was, you remember she was, she'd had a messed up life, been married four or five times, living with somebody she wasn't married to at the time, and uh, ostracized by the society around her. And Jesus, Jesus said to her, can you give me a drink of water? She came to the well, middle of the day, hot of the day. Nobody else was there, just him, him, Jesus and her. And Jesus said, how about a drink of water? And she said, are you asking me? You're a Jew. And you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, to give you some water? What's up with it? That was so cross-cultural. I mean, it was so countercultural that it, it, uh, it just blew her mind. And Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me, and I would give you a well of water springing up into a river of water, springing up into everlasting life. If we love Jesus, if we come to Jesus and let and bask in his love, thank him for his goodness as we sang this morning, actually give time as we did yesterday at the retreat to stop, rest, breathe deeply. God who loves me. If we do that, then out of our innermost being we'll begin to flow. 
It might just start as a little trickle at first. But out of our being will flow rivers of living water. You remember how Jesus probed Peter after the resurrection? You remember Peter? Peter, you know, he, he had a special relationship with Jesus, but he was unpredictable and he was undependable. And you remember P Peter denied that he ever knew Jesus when he was pressured before Jesus was crucified. And Jesus, and finally afterwards, Jesus, Peter said, I'm going fishing. I, I've just had it. And he went to Galilee. Well, Jesus found him up there in Galilee. And you remember what he did. We've talked about this before. Jesus took Peter aside and he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? And we don't know what the these are. I mean, it could have been his companions that joined him up there at Galilee fishing. It could have been his boat and his nets. It could have been uh, the, the haul of fish that Jesus helped him bring in. But Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he said again, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? What an amazing thing. Jesus didn't say to Peter, who he had earlier said, I'm going to build my church on this rock, your confession of me as the Christ. Jesus didn't say, are you ready to be a, church, a faithful church attender? Are you ready to pray more, Peter? Are you in, are you in with putting together some great new programs? Tell me your plan to structure your time. Are you going to get all your bad habits under control? No, he didn't say anything. Peter, do you love me? We've got to keep it simple, Peter. Do you love me? And the good news is that God knows we can't do it alone, as I've said. companion narrative to the simplicity of the apprenticeship. That's what we have with Jesus. It's an apprenticeship. We just step in line with him and try to be like him. We want to be emulators of him. Scripture uses the phrase imitators <coughs> of. We want to be like Jesus. That's the simple way. The companion narrative to the simplicity of the apprenticeship Jesus called his followers to is that we can't do it alone, and he doesn't expect us to. Because if it's up to me to produce God-like simplicity, love, fruits of the Spirit, love of enemy, if it's up to me to produce that on my own, I've got almost 73 years into this, and I ain't been able to do it. None of us can, unless we have the Holy Spirit. All the rigorous self-discipline and self-improvement programs we attempt to reorder our lives, 
in God, in health, in happiness, will only add to the complexity we're trying to escape without God's presence in our innermost being. Simplify. Just before that conversation that Jesus had with Peter at Galilee, right after he had risen from the dead, Jesus showed up in the upper room where the disciples were still huddling together trying to figure out what they're going to do next. They were just, they were perplexed. They didn't know what to do. And Jesus showed up in the upper room and he said, yeah, it's me, I'm alive. You, 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 here, look, you can see where I've been wounded. And he then he said to them, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up a little bit. Before Jesus was taken and crucified, he sat his disciples down some several days, weeks maybe, ahead of when he was uh, captured in Gethsemane. And he, and he taught them. It's, you can find it in the book of John. There's several chapters there in the middle of John where it's recorded. Here's one piece of it. It's in John chapter 14. If anyone loves me, I don't think we have a slide for this. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Will. Not should. Not ought to. Will. Those are companion things. Loving Jesus produces the living water, the enablement of the Holy Spirit, so that the general fruit of our lives is obedience to Christ. He, he says, you will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him, and, may, and we will come to him and make our home with them. We fall in love with Jesus. We open our hearts to Jesus. We put Jesus' center in our lives. It will involve the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit coming and being in us and with us. And that will enable us to do the apprenticeship. These words you hear are not my own, Jesus said. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything. I've said to you, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you to you as the world gives. What's the world give? Well... You got the distinction, I think, as we've talked along here. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then he appeared to the disciples up there in that upper room right after his resurrection. And you know what he did? It says in John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them 
and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I just like to picture that. I just like to imagine being in that room where the resurrected Christ steps into the middle of the room, startling in a way, and they're saying, huh, what? And he says, peace, peace, shalom. Peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Whoa. Whoa. And then he went on to say, if you have forgiven, if you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. Uh oh. <laughs> if you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Wow. Jesus was laying it out there. I am suggesting to you today that what Jesus was saying was that those who apprentice with me and discover the simplicity of loving God first and foremost, of loving Jesus and walking in the Spirit will, wherever they go, spread a sense of empathy, tolerance, compassion, forgiveness. And can you imagine a world where Christ followers everywhere walked around full of the Spirit, forgiving? What a different world it would be. Wow. And just before he departed, he stressed it again in Acts chapter 1. Luke writes about it. He says, I wrote about that all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak. It's kind of like he was saying, you remember when I breathed on you and said, receive the Holy Spirit? You've heard me talk about this, he said. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're Baptists. We understand what the word baptized means. What does it mean? Immersed, right? (laughs) In a few days you'll be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Wait for it. Don't rush ahead. Don't jump out on your own strategy and plan. Wait until you are endued with power from on high. I don't know about you, but I've about had it with the soul-deadening, loveless culture I've been immersed in for too long. I hear Jesus saying to me, Steve, do you love me? 
do you love me? And my answer is going to be the same as Peter's was. Well, yes, I do. You, you know I do, Lord. But I have to qualify it. But I have to admit I've let complexity push aside some of my first love. And I've fallen into a habit of being too internet-brained. Or, as the proverb puts it, of leaning on my own understanding. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will straighten out your paths. He'll simplify it. And so I hear the Spirit saying to me and to us today, are you ready to love God first and foremost? Are you ready to simplify it all as Paul did when he wrote to the Corinthians? He said, and so it is with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom alone, but on God's power. We want to be rooted in simplicity, we want to be deeply, internally in love with the crucified, resurrected Jesus, our role model, the one we imitate. We want to be like Jesus, we'll walk in humility. In our own strength, and our own capacities, we'll feel like Paul. Great fear and trembling. No confidence. The way of Christ is not brash and boastful, but dependent upon the helper. Jesus said, I'll send you another helper, another comforter, another advocate. He will teach you my ways. He will not only be with you, he'll be in you. And simply walk in the Spirit's power. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for reminding us that it doesn't have to be complex and difficult. If we want to unclutter and un take complexity out of our lives, it's just coming to you, falling in love with you again, or if we never have, starting right now, falling in love with you. Lord, would you breathe upon us today as you did your disciples and say, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Would you help us to focus on the one thing that is necessary? May we all go from this place today with the fervent, earnest, longing, seeking prayer on our lips. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.